for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way, with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. You see it so many times in sports. A team works so hard to be in a winning situation, only to fumble the ball on the one-yard line because the ball was held away from the body with one hand. Or a basketball player dribbles the ball off the inside of his foot with only one opportunity at a winning basket. Or what looks like an easy winning soccer shot on goal gets shanked from stepping on a loose shoestring. In all of those cases, it wasn't about the lack of talent or the lack of skill, conditioning, or effort. All of those disappointments, those missed opportunities came from a failure point something unexpected or not prepared for, realized before the situation happens at the most critical of times. It's no different than elk hunting, y'all. So many hunters get close only to be disappointed by something unexpected or not prepared for. Well, y'all, it's time to put that baby to bed. Up next, your coaches are getting together to identify what we feel are the top 10 elk hunting failure points and how we overcome them. That discussion, some Elk Bros shout outs and questions from our Elk Bros mailbox. So my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkBros.com, with your host, Gilbert Ornelas, and Elk Hunting Coach Joe Gilly. You want to hunt elk? They live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello, 
there, everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy our show. And as always, for those blue-collar hunters following our show and grinding it out with us every week, welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Ornelas, the host of your show, and coming to you from the Katy, Texas area. That's right, the leader of the Venezuelan mafia, That's right. Luis Gonzalez, is in the I house. And from Burnett, Texas, the newest addition to our coaching staff, Mr. Cole Wilkes. And from Cimarron, your elk hunting coach, WWJGD, what would Joe Gillia do? <laughs> yes, sir. He's in the house. Everybody's got it teed up tonight, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're missing a couple of bros here, man. Chav, yeah. Chav, Chav. Uh, say hello to Chav, Manano. Get your crap done, Manano. That's all I'm going to say, bro. Yeah. <laughs> done, man. There's no point of you saying it in the in the podcast. You don't listen to it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, well, we're going to find out, man. We're going to see what happens. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think um, it would – if people don't think that we're real, man, I wish they could see what happens before this show gets on. <laughs> oh, man. Cole's getting a real earful now. Cole's like, yeah, I get it now. I get it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, uh, people don't understand is we – there's real struggles, you know. I mean, Big O's got to have a little I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just – I'm hoping you'll hear my cat meow or something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, when I showed up here at the house from doing my lessons this afternoon, I mean, look, I come from – I want everybody to know, I come straight from giving softball lessons right back here. When I got here, my house was full of people. I got to run them all out of here in three minutes and then hope that, you know, our Internet has been acting screwy because of all of the water that we've had and – for some reason, I don't know why that makes it act funny, but it has. We've had a couple of nights where it's just been thundering and lightning all night, and we lose power for a very short amount of time, and it comes back on, and then everything tries to have problems rebooting and resetting and stuff because like it's that. because it's Texas, so. bro, man. You guys got that old cowboy out there with no the windmill but. doing that electricity. Man, we had, yeah. we, had, we had a tornado warning here last night. Yeah. got a it what? Was, a tor what? Tornado, tornado <laughs> warning. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, you, you like you like. I, I'm just pronouncing it all ways, so, you know, all yeah. these different ways. That way, I mean, it just because we're inclusive here. I mean, we're just doing it so Manano can understand it, you can understand it, and all that stuff. You know what I, mean? I just want everybody to see what uh, what what the COVID Luis and the non-COVID Luis, the difference, what what that looks like. Yeah, I mean, because man, when when we had COVID, Luis was like the beard was going, the hair was going. Man, somebody started work recently because he's got like the fade happening man oh yeah man he looks high and tight he's high and tight yeah, yeah. for sure yeah. looks <laughs> looks fantastic man like uh what's that cat's name man uh real ugly mofo man had to be what's his name antonio banderas he's got himself all duded up man he looks all cool man oh so man. proud of my brother though man he's back on the grind in the oil field mix turning to the right so uh yeah. proud of proud of my brother luis and uh all my buddies out there that are in the oil field. It's been a grind, fellas. It's been an unbelievable year. 2020 was I mean, absolutely train wreck. You, you know, know, all of our listeners out there, so many people have been feeling that crunch over the last year and things starting to open up a little bit. And, 
life is getting back to subpar normal here and uh you know we're we're trying to get there man and yeah we just, are just, just yeah i mean you know it. our governor's been really cool he's kind of opened things up here and you know it's helped us uh kind of get our state going back again and the people back into you know going back to work and and things like that and i i do see some light at the end of the tunnel for sure but man I, what i wanted to do was the shout out for luis what they put down hunting list last week, dude, the dude actually uh, one of the coolest stalks I've seen on camera yeah, got and then absolutely puts a smack down on a big South Texas hog, dude. Yeah. So, yeah, that's so puppy, cool. that was awesome. Yeah. Really know, cool. How it? far did that rascal run? I mean, you cut the video off a little short. How, did he yeah, die well, right there where we saw the then, last part of the video or what? Yeah. He, he died. He died probably seconds after I turned the camera off. Um, That's awesome, man. So I actually, I turned the camera and I'm just feeling myself just getting, you yeah. know, all excited. <laughs> um, he, he probably ran 30 to 40 yards from where I shot it. Yeah. And uh, so the cool thing is, man, I got into their bedroom yeah. and the wind was on my face and I was actually going following other pigs and they were just all you know, scratching their bags. There were some little piglets eating from their mama's laying down. So I'm trying to kind of walk my way around because it's, it's the, the grass is so tall and it's so noisy and I'm just being very stealthy, man. And this, I hear something coming and I see this pig and I, no time I have to draw and I shoot him. I don't know. Uh, 10, 10 yards away. Yeah. Dude, I thought he was going to come at you, man. The That's way awesome. he turned, way he yeah. turned when you hit him, he started coming at you. I was like, yeah. oh, he's he's like, oh, he didn't bro. know what happened. <laughs> no, he didn't know what happened. Man, I, 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 I shot that pig and then he started running kind of towards me and I'm like, oh yeah. crap. So he just kind of stumbled right in front of me. I'm talking, I'm talking less than five yards. Yeah. Stumbled. And then he just got spooked and, and, and ran away. And then I turn around and the, all the other pigs are, they didn't, they didn't realize what happened. So I, I got another shot at a pig that was by down by the Creek. And, uh, he was about 40 yards down slope. I shot him with a 30 yard pin. That arrow was going perfect, but it hit a limb right before it got to him. And I, and I thought I actually hit him, but when I went to check the arrow, the arrow, um, was had nothing in it. Yeah. yeah. So, and then after that, I was like within, within 12 yards from two sows <laughs> laying down, feeding their little ones. And I could have shot them, but I just didn't, like I said, I didn't have the heart. So <laughs> uh, it was an, it was a, it was an incredible. Yeah, we're just going to keep the factories alive. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I, I want to keep them all alive. Man. Yeah, I know. Hey, we are future. spoiled down here. We're spoiled. <laughs> yeah. I try to go pig hunting once a week, at least just to keep me. I mean, it's like 3d, yeah. you know, like going to a 3d range. So, oh, look, yeah, man, even better. I, if people can say what they want to, their kill zone is small. Right, oh, it's yeah. not big. It's not like an elk where you got a bigger kill zone. We're going to talk about some of that tonight. Uh, some of our failure points and stuff like that. So, Joe, get us kicked off here, brother. Yeah, and and before I do too, man, I've got two other shout outs, man. And one was uh, to those people that sent in reviews this last, at the beginning of this month. Because I don't know if you guys remember, I jumped on and I said, 
you know, what the heck, man? We yeah, haven't we had, got no reviews. Yeah, right. April, we didn't hardly get any reviews, you know. And then, um, man, the listeners really showed up in May so far, man. I mean, yeah. they just started cranking those reviews out, and and you and guys, it, you don't you don't know what that does for us, man. It just really legitimizes that the content we're giving you is something of value. So we so appreciate that. And I got one more shout out, and um, you know. Luis, you, you've got the, those two girls that are still growing up. Um, and, uh, and I saw where your daughter sent a note to you, uh, on the last podcast there, Cole, that was really, yeah. cool. and, uh, and, you know, Gilbert, when I met Gilbert, one of the things that, um, always struck me about you, bro, was you're just such a fantastic father. And, and that's one thing that I have seen with all the guys I surround myself with is that you can tell what kind of friends, what kind of husbands you guys are by the types of fathers you are. And, you know, Gilbert has one in college and I wanted to give a shout out right now to Logan Ornelas, who is graduating here shortly. And uh, he's, uh, he's going from, he went from boy to a man a lot. I, it just blinked, man. And, and it like yeah. happened. And, and, and he's a heck of a man too, man. He, he is, he is just, I appreciate um, that fellas. It's going to be so much fun, bro, to watch the future. And you've got such a cool pal, um, to be sharing some moments with that are going to really enrich your life, man. So, you know, we, we dove job into well done, Gilbert. Job Thank well. you very much, Joe. I mean, we've been blessed, man. You know, uh, even through the, the COVID and everything, we did a lot of hunting together. We got to spend a lot of time together. I, you know, growing up, I didn't get to do that with my dad. I did it with my grandfather, but I didn't get to do it with my dad. So it was real important for me to do some of the things that, that would bond us together like that. And I'm going to tell you right now, I, I, he's going to go to college and everything, but he's kind of like Phil Robertson. He'd rather be in the woods or yeah. on a boat somewhere and he's going to have to find his way. But one thing I know for sure is mama raised him good. And, uh, you know, we've raised him in the woods and on the front end of that Skeeter and, uh, he's, he loves it. So, I, you know, my grandfather gave me some advice long ago. He said, if you keep your kids in the woods or on the lake, you won't ever have to look for them when they get older because that's where they're going to be. And uh, it was solid advice. Um, you know, my, my daughter is a very accomplished hunter as well. I mean, she's killed more animals than most men that are, you know, my age have. I mean, yeah. these kids, they've grown up, you know, they've been killing They've been killing whitetails since they were four and five years old. Yeah, so, and I mean three or four a year. You know, yeah. uh, Logan got to. Luis has had the opportunity to hunt with Logan several times, and yeah, and he'll tell you, man, he's as good at aging whitetails and and the woods. He's been my guide. Yeah, he's and as you, good you as those pictures, bro. Yeah, look, look yeah. at those pictures and. Yeah. And what the heck happened, man? It was like I saw a picture with somebody Logan gave him like some grow juice, man. Oh man, it just like me. overnight, man. So, yeah. you know, for all you parents out there, uh, shout out to you guys um, yeah. because uh, all of us are parents, all of us, uh, and have gone through that, or are going through that, and or or will be going through that at one time and one stage. And your kids, um, what we do as parents, there's no there's no book, man. There, no. they, they don't come no with manual. Uh, no manual that no they manual. come with. So you do the best you can to be the best parent you can with what you have and the tools and in your situation. And, and really y'all it's a crash course, man. I mean, 
It you is. know, by the time they get to a certain stage where you could communicate in, in that kind of way, it's like, man, you have like four years to get it across and then they are out there. So, you know, yeah. kudos to all of y'all. And, and we pray that, um, all of, uh, all of y'all have some incredible graduations if that's what you're going Thank through you. or, and if your kids have already gone out and they're in the world, we hope that you're getting quality time with them and, and moments that you get to share. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, man. Right. Joe, I, thank you so much. I mean, I know Logan, he's always keeping up with the podcast. He loves what we're doing. Uh, he absolutely loves hunting with Luis and Manano. Um, yeah, he's always asking me, is Luis coming or is Manano coming? I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. the whole nine That's yards. Love, loves to be with him. Um, and Luis actually watched Logan grow up hunting, you know, from a real young age. And now his daughters are hunting. You know, yeah, yeah, so really no, that, got to that, really that got journey. to help him move into that. that take oh, that to speaking of journeys, man. I I want y'all to see that right there. Nice. Uh, check that the out. out. See, uh, look at you go, Joe. Yeah, I guarantee Carl Gammage is rolling over in his grave. Hey, Carl, man, bring it, bro. Bring it. I, I, you know, I can't wait to see you again because I got so every so so people that can't watch or just listening. uh, (laughs) Joe just just showed off his nuclear compound bow, nuclear bow uh, with uh, with some. This with, the name of this bow is called the journey. That's called the journey with some <laughs> with some custom made arrows. Yeah, and uh, and an easy V sight sight on the front of it. That's and then he's shared with us some pictures uh, on Instagram of his his shots on 3D targets that are just friggin' phenomenal. So if we thought he was lethal with. You know his his old bow and uh, no sights and and Ooh, and man. instinctive. You got to see these shots now. Yeah, man, it's like oh, taking really? a sniper that you usually <laughs> uses a four power scope and yeah. giving him a sixteen by twenty four yeah. by fifty millimeter. That's <laughs> what it's like. Here's yeah. the cool thing about this, though, man, is that and and what I've enjoyed in this process is I didn't want to go to pins i didn't want to go to the, the, the pin sites and when this ezv came up and if you've ever looked through it what's so cool about it is it allows me to use my instincts and, mm-hmm. and you know i mean there is no pin on that kill area i mean i put that thing up there and basically you know your left right that happens in your head does that um i think the cool part of this journey that i get i'm going to be able to share with people is this whole thing of anchor point because you know i when you saw those shots that i shot on those 3d targets that was my first five shots ever all I did was shoot on paper, went over to the 3Ds, and I shot. And th- all those are unknown. I couldn't even tell you what the distances were. The distances. Yeah, yeah I couldn't even cool. tell you. And, man, I mean, it popped. I popped kill, 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 kill. That bow's a lot flatter shooting, too, man. Absolutely, man. And Which also messes with me, though, Gilbert, because mm-hmm. I'm used to a little more up right. down like that. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I was really excited. And, and the hard part for me has been this whole anchor point thing because yeah. these bows yeah. here – you just a little bit off, man, and exactly. it makes yeah. just difference one so way. So the brace height's a lot shorter, so you don't have as much. Well, forgiving I got mine with seven room. inches. I, that's a seven-inch brace height on this, so it's a little more forgiving. But it's shooting at two eighty-two 
you know, feet per second, you know, with, yeah. uh, with a four yeah. second green arrow. So, and I can't believe I'm saying this, this is just great. I've, <laughs> I've never known how fast my arrows were shooting. I've never, yeah. Luis yeah. Goes, well, what's your arrow way? And I go, I don't yeah. know about that. I guess, you know, what you do now, you do now, now. you know, every single speck of it. I, I know. <laughs> and, and that's, what's been so cool is, is I want to tell everybody, you know, and, and that was the whole reason I'm doing this is to Those show people arrows. that you can, you can make changes in life and you can explore new things. And, you know, I'm hunting with this this year. Will this be what I end up staying with the rest of my life? I don't know. I, but I, I am giving it my best effort to be, uh, to be on that journey with the journey. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, yeah it, and it's been fun. It really has. I mean, there's been real frustrating times. Um, but, uh, once I got it lined out, got it tuned and got some help yeah. over hit or miss archery over there, those guys shimmed up the cams for me. Cause that was the whole deal. You know, you figure mm-hmm. you buy a bow, that's almost $2,000 and, uh, you, you're able just to go out and shoot them puppies and ain't the case, man. And it had to be shimmed and it had to be shimmed at the bow shop. And then after that, we were frigging golden. We were punching holes and, and then we're off to the races. Now it's all about, I am so excited to go out and shoot just to get, to get that, get used to it. So mm-hmm, get that mm-hmm. time behind the string. So it's a lot of fun, man. I'm enjoying it. Really am. Welcome to the dark side. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. But one thing is I don't have to worry about my pins getting shook, getting loose, falling, you know, getting bent, you know, with that easy V it, it, it you ain't got to worry about none of that. It, how, how solid is the uh, the sphere adapter? The V does it rotate to the right and left? That no, yellow not, portion. No, not at all. Rotate? Not at all. It, it 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 it. There's nothing that can rotate, move, yeah. go in and out. It's as solid as I mean. Basically, this is like one unit. The way it's put inside there, and mm-hmm. you know uh, everything That's here cool. is there's it's minimal things to be able to go wrong you know, on this. So, um, that part I really like, I like the simplicity of that. And, and Mm -hmm. I'm not using a, um, uh, peep site. Uh, I pull back, uh, I have a kisser on there. I feel the strength of my nose in the same place every time. And I pop, man. So it's a lot like, why didn't you put a peep in it? I I don't want to look through anything. I, I, I want to just look at the animal through that easy V and, and you use both eyes. Joe? Yes, I do. Yeah. You yeah. use both eyes? I do. Yeah. Yeah. I use both eyes even with my peep. So, yeah. But, yeah. I, I, Same. I, I, uh, I was just curious. I'm not so sure. So, what do you do? Yeah. What do you do with the string on, on the eye that covers I pay the no eye. attention to it whatsoever. I, I don't. Okay. All I know is I have a kisser that's happening right inside here. You know, when I pull back and that string is just barely touching the tip of my nose right there, as long as that's happening. So you're saying that string is pretty far away from your eye. Huh? <laughs> I don't Well, it does let me shorten my draw length considerably. He's a 29 now. <laughs> so, and I want everybody to know, man, I must have monkey arms because everybody keeps asking me that you're, and I'm shooting at, at 30 and a half on my draw length, you know, with no, that I'm 31. 
I don't know if I have monkey arms or what, but so I just wanted to share that with everybody, man. And, uh, the journey is happening, uh, Pat buddy, uh, this one's for you, uh, because of the, your incredible gift and I'm honoring that and I'm doing my best and, Oh, the, and and to prove I'm a grinder, man, we got the new t-shirts out. The like Elk Rose Grinder T-shirts, the hunting buddy site, people jumping on. Uh, you know, people are buying the academy. Uh, I'm so excited about what's happening in this year. Uh, I'm getting close to starting the manufacturing on the Grunt too. You know, it's just and with Hunt Wars guys, man. It's just like how <laughs> less can human beings be, man? Yeah, <laughs> yeah we knew that was going to happen. Yeah, it's. I mean, like I said, when we st- we didn't have no clue it was going to go like this, but. You know, when we started a couple of years ago, it was like, well, we're going to have fun talking about elk hunting. We're going to have elk camp every week, yeah. you know? So yeah, that's really cool, Joe. It's, yeah, it's awesome, man. Having a great time. Right. So. Joe, you guys know what time it is. Out it's out time out for out the out out out. This is just shout out to a few cities with the most listeners, Tarpenar Sharks this week, Joe. Yep, yep. And we're going to start out with those incredible Apple podcast reviews that we've been seeing. And we got some others on some of the – I'm not used to this, man, but we're getting them in Podbean and different places like that as well. But uh, shout out to the Wyoming Elk Hunter, man. Thank you so much. A.K. Vinny. A.K. Vinny is – he's uh, with the West Coast Hunters and Anglers Club in Prudhoe Bay, Alaska. Vinny. Don't worry about the short stories, man. Uh, I don't know if you've heard us talk or not, but we can't say our name in 20 minutes. So don't worry about that, man. They pay me to talk, Vinny. And we got Justin Gotham from up in Oregon. Justin's awesome. We're hoping, and Justin, we are hoping you get drawn for Hunt Wars too, bro. Uh, We would love Yeah, man, good luck. Yeah, good luck with that. Good luck. Cole, didn't you put in for Hunt Wars? Yeah, I'll put in. So, so what happens if the coach from Hot Wars gets drawn, bro? <laughs> then I guess I'm going to give it away to uh, my partner that was yeah. going to be there with me. There you right? go. Awesome. Then I get to coach him. <laughs> that would be – how cool would that be, man? Dude, that would be pretty cool. That would be awesome, man. So sure uh, they'd let me turn it over to somebody, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure they would. Yeah. But, hey, I still got my fingers crossed for like a mule deer hunt or something. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It could be yeah. a duck hunt, could be a an yeah, whatever. Hunt, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and actually, you can do that. Like if you get drawn and you're not be able to do for one, a lot of times you can just switch it over and say, you know, can I do this one? And they bring somebody else over. So you think they'd let me secretly do the elk? <laughs> I asked that same question, brother. It might huh? be a slight conflict of interest now, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No way. As long as I'm back whenever the guys are there. <laughs> oh, uh, Bubblehead, thanks for the Academy shout-out. Uh, Bubblehead, I, I, I got to get used to these names like that, man. I was like, Bubblehead, has it got to be somebody I know, man? And, and I'll tell you what was really cool about the shout-out. It's really cool when you hear folks start out saying, I never give reviews, but they take the time to give us a review. That's just like yeah. so cool. And we had cool. one, we had one review from, he, he said, NFL gamer knowledge, um, buddy. Uh, he says is the beginning of success. And I want to thank you for our Academy compliment. 
He's um, really, really enjoying that. Ethan Tompkins uh, from Cleveland, Texas, man. Thank you, Ethan, very much. Both you guys that took the time when you never give reviews, that says a lot to us. And, oh, get this. We did get a video shout-out. Actually, we got two video shout-outs that uh, I'm going to share with you guys here. And, um, and, and I just want to tell you when you're watching the, and you got to love these guys, man, this is different than any shout out we've gotten. Both of them, very, very different, very, very cool. And the second one that you guys hear this guy, Bob Collins, Bob, the Billy goat Collins, by the way, <laughs> here we go. Here we go. Talking about them goats again, man. <laughs> Gilbert, don't be hugging Bob, bro. Right. <laughs> I might have me some ghosts to hug on. <laughs> but I want to tell you, for you guys that are out there that are in your 20s, that are in your 30s, even in your 40s, um, this is – Bob is the guy out there, man, that you had better be afraid of because he's going to go deeper. He's going to go farther. Yeah, check this out. Good evening, Elk Bros staff and Elk Bros. This is Richard Flock coming to you from Springfield, Oregon. I just want to give you a dedication and a small shout out to all the Elk Bros for all the hard work you're doing and the way you're growing and joining up with the Hunt Wars and expanding. Awesome. Keep up the good work. But one thing, you talk about being in the moment. I'm not in the moment right now. Give me just a second. I'll be right back. Hey, guys, I'm back. I'm in the moment. I got Elk Bros hat. Got my hunting gear. Got my little item I want to dedicate to all you bros and staff. Weeks ago, I was on Facebook, and this gentleman, I found he does carvings out of antlers. So I thought, what a great idea to take your logo and have him carve it. He did it in a day. And this is what it looks like. Oh, wow. I really wow. like the No way. Bad, man. That's that so cool, awesome. man. And wow. the part of that is the moon. And I noticed, Joe, after a couple of days, you put that moon on there. Oh, that was so awesome. That just, to me, that made your bro signature. And I just really appreciate it. And this pennant's going to go with me this year, along with the hat and everything, and all the knowledge that you put out there that I've picked up. I'm excited to use it, and you guys are just awesome. Big shout-outs to all you blue-collar elk hunters out there. I am Bob the Billy Goat Collins, coming to you from Barrie, New York, a small farming community in western New York. We're so small, we don't have a gas station or a convenience store. We got two churches and a volunteer fire department. <laughs> well, what we do have, being a farming community, is we do have lots of whitetails. Yes, sir. Billy Goat would like to give you guys a tip on working out. You, you got, got a open yelling right now. You should be hitting those hills hard. Do not go straight up and straight down. Zigzag up and down the mountain, up and down always. You get out west, you're not going to be going straight up and straight down those mountains. You're going to be zigzagging. You really need to get out there and zigzag. Not if you want with Joe. Mountains that you're working out on to develop those stabilizer muscles, ones that run up and down the inside and the outside of your legs. And that's your tip from the old Billy Goat. See you on the backside of the mountain. How cool is that? Oh, man. man. Oh, oh, so cool, wow. Joe. This has got to be the, the top 
the top videos, uh, shout outs that we've gotten in the show ever, man. I mean, awesome. You know, and, and Bob, I talked, I called him and after I got that, I was like, I got to call this guy. So he actually lives where he lives is real close to where the Jillia roots are in Erie County up near Buffalo, New York. And, you know, he answered the phone and, you know, it was like that, you know, forget about it type thing, you know, (laughs) uh, and, and we had a conversation and yeah, how are you doing? And he's like wanting to, um, send in some tips and stuff of his and guys, I don't know how old you think Bob is there, but he, that, that guy's 66 years old. Wow. And he is. I thought it was a great tip. How many times are you out there side hill and chasing an old bull? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So and and and, and the and the engraved antler. Oh my God. So was that the base of the antler, Joe? That they engraved, or well, I'm not Probably. sure what part it was. It looked like he sliced a part of it and engraved it, but yeah. it has to be closer so down cool. to the bottom because there's no there's no pits and stuff in it like you get inside mm-hmm. the horn higher up. So sure. it's got to be down in the base, man. Right. You know, if you use like axis antler, it's solid. They don't want, they oh, don't have any of that core. You know, it's more like an ivory bone. You know. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so that, that's, that's so cool. It, it was awesome. And, and you're going to see more tips from the Billy goat. He said, awesome, hey, would man. you mind if I said, he said, dude, you send me videos. We're showing them in because uh, <laughs> this, this is a community. We are, we are part of the grinder community. We're here to coach and to help, but we're just like everybody else, man. All of us are trying to share. And I love that give give attitude that we get from you know people like sean dawson and from eric aragon and, and, and it's just it's so cool to see all these people and, and cole you know um and, and my bros man all all those guys that jump in and do this with us um it's people just giving because you ain't getting nothing out of this yeah. other than us you know every now and then give you a kiss on the cheek but that's about it right. man you know having a good time yeah Uh, yeah we get and and remember guys if you want to be a part of the show you too can send in a video shout out a 10 to 15 second video email it to me joe at elkrose.com just try to do me a favor because we still got guys doing their videos like this and i have to do a lot of editing like that but Take that phone and turn it in in landscape mode, not in portrait Instagram yeah. mode, but in landscape mode. You know that's right, like, Manano. <laughs> landscape mode. <laughs> that's a lost cause, but I like. I mean, I'm not wasting this alive anymore on that front, man. I just so what I'm going to do. I'm going to jump in for Manano and uh, and and Tab and do theirs for them. But okay. yeah, well, go ahead and lead us out, bro. You bet. Guys, this first city is beneath the week's top listening city is in a row of hard metal mineral stones that appear to be stacked on top of one another, forming what looks like a wall of rocks up to 40 feet in height and found throughout the area. This formation has been sparkling debate, has been sparking a debate between imagination and science for more than 160 years. The question is, was this rock wall or of rock wall built by prehistoric people or is it a naturally occurring phenomenon well y'all that just depends on who you ask or who you've been beer drinking with (laughs) and none other than rock wall texas rock wall texas man 
Yeah. yeah. My 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 coach on my our co head coach on our sixteen U squad is from Rockwall, Texas. Oh, get out of here. Yep. So and I hope everybody understands that there's actual and and where the debate is is there's a phenomenon that comes above ground, underground, under Down rock ground. wall mm-hmm. that they they are not sure if it was built by prehistoric people or if it's just how the earth layered this. But if you look at it, you know, it looks like a wall stacked up with with stones that are cut. And some people say that there's doorways and windows allegedly i'm not saying that there is (laughs) but (laughs) so that's where rockwall gets its name from right there just outside the dfw area there oh really huh awesome so this next top listening city which has a small town feel is named get this it's named for a university campus that is still missing today (laughs) yeah that's right really yeah, back in the 1800s, the University of Puget Sound in Tacoma purchased this land to build a new university campus. <laughs> the only problem was it was never built. It was a place for the university. Today, the city is a suburb of Tacoma, Washington, and has breathtaking views of the Puget Sound and the Olympic Mountains. So, of course, it's called University place washington washington <laughs> and it, the west coast keeps showing out joe yep absolutely man i, I man all of our washington listeners utah listeners man it oregon. just uh, yeah oregon it's really really cool to have you guys man thank you so much it's all about y'all out there being here with us um this next one chav's got us all covered for this floridian havana is a suburb of miami and is located along the okeechobee okeechobee, okeechobee road okeechobee road and the palmetto expressway in its early heyday its main industry was raising horses the iconic now you guys is that hialeah yeah hialeah hialeah yeah hialeah i think hialeah park Hialeah Park Park. horse racing track opened there in 1925 with this town has the highest percentage of Spanish speakers of any city in the United States at 95.69%. The folks there take great pride in their Spanglish inspired business name, excessive (laughs) car honking and their sweet mom and pop eat spots in Hialeah (laughs) gardens, Florida. (laughs) That's crazy. Yeah. Down in Florida. In Florida. That's so awesome, man. So, uh, you know, you you go into that town, you better speak it a language, man. Yeah. Yeah, no sprechen de Deutsch there. (laughs) Pero hablo español, huh? Nein, sehr, sehr gut. Ich habe keine Zeit zu machen sie ja schnell. Lord. Where'd you write that down at, Joe? Hey, dude. I I even speak French, bro. Jean-Paul Letton is chicken à l'arrêt. Oh, Lord have mercy. (laughs) Luis, listen to this next one, brother. Up next, we know uh now where all the robin hoods of oregon live that's right our next stop listening city located in the tualatin valley toilet and southwest of portland was once known as the smockville Smockville. in the early 1890s Uh its main industry was a brick 
of Brickyard that supplied the building bricks for most of Portland's growth. However, Smockville was not the most attractive name, so the town folk agreed to change the name. Local lore there says that uh, when prominent businessman Robert Alexander renamed the town, he claimed the woods surrounding the town to be re reminiscent of, of uh, Sherwood Forest in England. So they call this town Sherwood, Oregon. Sherwood, Oregon. Sherwood, Oregon. Yep. Awesome. Yeah, that, that uh yeah, they didn't think Smockville was all that great of a name. So. Yeah, I kind of like Sherwood better than Smockville. Yeah, yeah it didn't sound too good to me either. Absolutely. You know, I call that Twilatine. Twilatine Valley, I guess. Yeah, Twilatine. Mm -hmm. Twilatine. I would have sent to a Latin or something like that. I'd have blown it off. Yeah, I wouldn't have gotten that one. Yeah, it would have been Blownville. And I, you know, when to they. Were late. <laughs> When I see, when I hear Smockville, I think of like a whole classroom of kindergarten teachers, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> preparing for art class or something. Yeah. When they're wearing their art smocks on. Yeah. There you go. Cool. <laughs> All right. This next city home of hall of fame boxer, Danny Lopez. Uh, our next top listening city is known for its high quality of life and was ranked eight on a list of best places to live in the West. It has a beautiful rural atmosphere. And uh, back in the day, after the Spanish founded the mission San Gabriel in 1771, the surrounding hills were used uh, to graze the mission cattle. Um, in the 1970s, the area was utilized for equestrian purposes and for a dairy, but today, it's a uh, it's a beautiful city known for its high income and great worldwide reputation. Chino Hills, California. Chino Hills. Chino Hills. Yeah, West Coast, Coast in showing the house. up, man. Yeah, yeah. Cali. West Coast in the house. Cali showing up. Yeah, absolutely, man. I even heard. Um, I read that that Chino Hills was ranked like sixth or seventh in the nation by the FBI as one of the best places to live, safest places to live. That was kind huh. of interesting too. It was all the FBI agents live there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's probably right. Uh, I've been, man, it's a beautiful city. You've been there. Uh, all right, man. So let's get into the topic of tonight's show. Here we go. Definitely. We're going to rock and roll. And the, the title of tonight's show, the top 10 elk hunting failure points and how to avoid them. And guys, there's going to be a lot of nuggets in this one. And even some things that you might not have expected, some things that aren't your typical type of failure points in there that we're going to talk about. But I just want to let everybody know too, is that as you know, if we get, because we have a tendency to get really deep into things and try to explain stuff. And if we do that, I have no problem with splitting this information into a series going another day if we have to and doing that. We want to. What he's really trying to tell you in a very nice way is that we have a ton of failure points. Just so you know, we've got tons of information with yeah, regards and, and to failure. What, what I want our listeners to know is that you're getting a combined, you know, combined elk hunting experience, you know, 65, 70 plus years of 
combined yeah. elk hunting experience. And Manano is not even in the call today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he might be one of our limiting factors that we yeah. talk about today. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But hey, that could be one. You know, yeah. some guy that goes out there with a crappy partner, man. No, well, hey, man, when he shows up with his when he shows up with his daggum perfume on and everything, it's like, whoa, bro, there we got go. to wash you down with some daggum. Uh, you know, Earth Sand or something, because he smells like brute by Fabergé when yeah. he gets out of the car. Or when he wants to hunt hogs on a tree stand 12 yards from the feeder drinking whiskey. <laughs> now, I ain't faulting him for the that, whiskey, that, but that 12 probably, yards from the feeder, that dog won't hunt. That's starting to sound like a problem there, man, right there. Yeah. Man. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We um, might have to have a conversation about that little thing. Man. But, yeah, yeah. It was. It was funny today because I got a text from Cole today. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw Cole <laughs> under the bus, man. And Come on. He, he got he, you know he got the conversation piece and he got the title where it said the because I I let all you guys know I wanted you to look at your top five failure points because our goal is as a group. You know, we're going to each talk about our failure points, what we think they are. And out of that, we should get a minimum a list of 10. And I think people are going to get a lot more things to be able to look at with that. But Cole, right away, he sent me a text and he goes, are we supposed to have 10 or five things that I screwed up? Yeah. <laughs> what I say, Joe? You, you said, are we going, are we supposed to have 10 or five things that we screwed up? And, uh, and, and I said, five, we'll end up with 10 after all of it. He goes, okay. I was like, crap, I got 20 of those puppies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. He didn't say crap though, but I'm keeping it family friendly. All right. <laughs> yeah. We got to keep it clean. Yeah. So, um, what we're going to do is, is we're going to go through and when we want to develop this list and we want to out of this list, we're going to uh, signify what are our top 10, because we're going to have conversations. We're going to throw some things in. We're going to have some debates about things. And we're going to talk about how to avoid some of these as well, because I, you know, I look guys, man, just like we said in the intro, I think so many people, have opportunities encounters and opportunities to punch their tag and you hear all of these stories when they're like man you wouldn't believe what happened it always starts like that you know or he was right there and then or you know if there's always an and then or a but or something that comes in that was a failure point that stopped that success from occurring and you know cole you brought up something that and you might've been joking, man, but I, you know, I'm always somebody that thinks about myself when I think about failure points as an individual, but dude, you're absolutely right. A failure point can be the people that you surround yourself with. It could be a hunting partner as well. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think that's something, you know, for those people that are not solo hunting that are having partner or partners with them, that that's a consideration that you have to have and something that we got to talk about a little bit in the show as we get going, but it's a, it's a great point. It really yeah. is because look y'all a chain is only as strong as it, as its weakest link. And what I tell all of you is don't be that weak link. You know, if you're going to be a partner to somebody, man, show up, you know, um, 
bring something to the table, you know, be somebody that that partner does not want to be without make it an experience and a memory and not a drag. And, you know, don't pull people down around you. I, I, I think it's just so critical that those types of partnerships that people understand that, yeah, you're not always on the same level, but that doesn't mean that you don't have a role or something to bring to the table or you, or that you're not a detriment man. And that you're growing, you know, because I've had a lot of elk hunting partners over the years that, I didn't end up with them being elk hunter partners because there was growth not happening. And that, that gets to weigh down after a while. It really does. Yeah. So, yeah, for sure. So let's do this, man. Um, who wants to jump in with their, what they feel is their number one failure point? Well, <clears throat> you know, I started my elk hunting journey about 12 years ago and, you know, just like Cole, we grew up here in Texas shooting white-tailed deer. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've said this a thousand times, elk are not whitetails. And uh, they're big bone critters, uh, and they have a kill zone, and you need to familiar, familiarize yourself with that kill zone. I'm not just pimping our our base camp, and I'm not just pimping that podcast that we shot on shot placement but it is the most powerful podcast I think that you can tote with you in the woods. And that part of base camp is where to place your arrow on these animals at different angles. And you must understand that angle plays a big difference. Um, And when you, when I started understanding the anatomy of an elk, I didn't start shooting at elk. I started killing them. And when I mean killing them, I'm talking stone dead and they don't go, they don't go feet, not yards, feet, you know? So for me, I'd wounded a couple of bulls and I say wounded, you know, we recovered one of them about six weeks later, first bull I ever shot, but I didn't get put my hands on him. Right. And it was because I made an, an error of where to shoot that bull in, in his anatomy. Part of that was another failure point of mine, but it was also understanding that there's so much room behind that scapula to move our arrow from, you know, we get real focused on the shoulder here in Texas, slipping arrows through a whitetail is pretty simple. You know, I mean, we can slide it right through the middle of that scapula. No problem. Try that with a bull elk. (laughs) Yeah. I don't care what kind of bow you shoot, man. You're going to go. He's going to shake that thing off like a bad case of fleas and give you that, tag sandwich that uh you're gonna go home with without seeing him yeah yeah you're gonna put blood on the ground and you're probably gonna get to track him a good ways but you are not gonna recover that animal and uh so for me my first thing that i needed to learn and i'm telling you guys it happened when i took my daughter elk hunting and she shot a bull with a crossbow she shot that bull eight inches behind the crease and about two inches high center and when she hit that bull, blood flew out of him immediately. Okay. I'm talking it on impact. It blew out of him and he was dead in less than 15 seconds. I'm talking feet up graveyard dead now. So I went, Oh man. Oh my gosh. You know, I've been struggling with where to shoot these things from now on. That's exactly where I shoot. And if you guys look at that podcast, look at our base camp, that's all, you know, within a couple inches, that's exactly where we promote guys uh, shooting these critters. When you get in these elk woods, guys, and y'all have never done this before, and you got a bull elk screaming at you coming into your set, 
it will rattle you to your core and you will revert back to what you've always been training to do, which you guys down here, we, you know, we shoot deer targets all the time and we cra- train ourselves to be really in that crease or in that shoulder area. That's a bad thing for elk. You know, get you get you a, a smaller size elk, you know, diagram. Start getting behind that crease that much and work on understanding where you want to put that arrow in the anatomy of that elk to finish and to seal the deal. So most guys can can release an arrow on an elk, but can you put one down? And I think that's a, a big deal for guys to understand. And that's a huge failure point in that <clears throat> You know, it wasn't something where you didn't even get the shot. I mean, you did everything and you got the shot, but if you don't recover that animal, then there's no meat going in that freezer. Mm -hmm. There's no high five. And there's none of that, man. And, and there's a lot of guys that will go multiple years, um, putting an arrow in an animal without recovering them. And it's all because of a couple things. They're, not shooting within their comfort zone. There are still people out there that their only goal is to put an arrow into an animal and not to put it in the correct shot placement. So, I, I mean, I think it's huge understanding correct shot placement so that you not only get an arrow in there, but you're putting an animal down as quick and responsible as possible, man. And yeah, yeah. And for me, understanding the clear view of that shot, yep. you, you got to see where the limbs are. You got to see where brush is. You need a clear view of that kill zone to go ahead and release your arrow. Yeah, I was with Joe one uh, I mean, we hunted all day really hard. We finally got on this, on, on a satellite bull, Uh, actually it was a little raghorn that we kind of snuck into and he walked into a little area where I really thought I could slip an arrow in there and it just had too much of this man but I really thought I could slip it in there and I clipped a little limb on the way up we were shooting uphill too I clipped a little limb on the way up and it instead of me hitting him again man I should have waited till I got more behind that crease but Instead of that, we're hitting him where it needed to go. It sent that arrow up a little higher and hit him just below the hump. And, you know, again, I'm looking at Joe and, you know, I had one of the most unbelievable times of my life there on that mountain trying to recover him and tracking him. But, man, it, it was something that changed my life forever. Right after that, I took my daughter on her first elk hunt and I saw what I saw go on. And from then on, man, I started, like I said, we weren't shooting at elk. We weren't just hitting it. We were killing elk, right? And, I mean, the last three years have been phenomenal. I mean, when I tell you when we hit them, they they don't the, – the bull I killed that Joe called in uphill a couple years ago for me, he didn't last 10 seconds, and he was dead as a hammer in 10 seconds. Yeah. The bull I killed this year – 17 seconds and he's done he ain't even moving anymore Luis's bull was i mean i mean on a on a dead run and ended up going you know butt over nose man just rolled and dropped dead in matter of 10 seconds you know uh i i've the last two bulls that the bull i shot this year i mean i we heard crash 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 within 10 seconds and it was muerto man i mean it was done over so it it is critical and so and and you're right that is a failure point that is a huge failure point in a couple of ways and to me as hunters we owe it to that animal 
to make the best, most ethical shot we can. The goal is not to get an arrow into the animal. You, you can't shoot at these things just shooting at a body. You can't see a part of an elk and take a shot at that. That's not what we do. That's not a killing shot. That is not a mature hunter. It's not. Yeah. I mean, you, you've got to be under control, know your effective shot range, know shot placement, and then make sure that you are making a shot that you can do within your skill set and put that animal down. If you're not doing that, then, man, you know, that's the reason we preach two holes. Yeah. And that you look, if you do look at our shot selection, there are shots that are absolutely lethal, absolutely, that we do not suggest you using. And the only reason we don't suggest it is not because it's not lethal and or that it's unethical. It's not. And could we tell you not to take that shot? No. But as coaches, again, our job is for you to put that animal down and recover that animal in order to do that by having two holes in that animal, you ensure that there's more blood, more blood, easier trailing. And that animal, I, I, you know, I got news for you. You put an arrow through both of those lungs. That animal is down in a matter of seconds. They have nothing to go on whereas if that animal you end up getting one lung or you Ooh. get an arrow that stays inside of them and that arrow gets sheared off i have seen a heart killed bull a heart killed bull go over go 400 yards man you know yeah. just on a den run, go 400 yards and 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 when it seals that shot because if you shoot that animal right behind there in that shoulder area and that shoulder blade comes across and it shears that arrow and, and as small as those arrow shafts are these days, that's a small hole ends up getting there. And that loose flap of skin, it bleeds internally, which makes the tracking job hard. And there's guys that have probably been within 20 yards, 40 yards, 50 yards of their animal and never seen them. So yeah. uh, that they're down. You know, for me, Joe, not only does the shot placement make a difference, but this goes hand in hand with shot placement. You can't place the shot if you don't know the distance. It is so important to know your distance when we're elk hunting out west, whether it be up, down, straight across the field, whatever it may be. I'm going to tell you guys, if you don't know your distance and you're outside of 30 yards, don't take the shot. You gotta know how far that animal is, right? If you don't know and you're using our bows today, outside of 30 yards, you're gonna get up and down uh, situations that are not gonna work out real good for you if you don't know what that distance is. If you cannot put a rangefinder on it or understand that these inside of a distance that you've already pre-ranged, don't take the shot. I can't tell you how many guys I know that have wounded bulls because they really didn't know where they were standing, you know, or they, they thought he was a lot closer and they shot under him or whatever it may be. And I'm like, well, did you range him? Well, when I ranged him, it said X or this X or Y or Z. You really got to understand your distance so you can make a really good shot. And, and that incorporates using a rangefinder or really putting a lot of work into judging distance with your eyes. And uh, those are those are two things 
for me, Joe, and they kind of go hand in hand, shot placement and understanding your distance. You got to know that to make a clean ethical kill. Well, yeah. Cause you're, you're, you're basically saying that the shot is the failure point, that shot selection, understanding that shot, the shot distance and everything in there. And, and it's not a failure point in, in what a lot of people think about and not being able to, you know, get, get that opportunity and get that shot. I mean, you actually got the shot, but yeah. if you, if you don't have that shot selection down, um, then you are, and all you're, of us have had that. sending a wish out, man. I mean, and that animal deserves a lot better than that. And, and it, and look, you can be the best shot and mm. have the best shot opportunity and things can go south. Trust me, you know, uh, mm. and I, I've seen guys beat themselves up, but it does happen, man. Oh, yeah. uh, these are animals. Sure. Live. Yeah. It's bow hunting, man. I think it's so funny because my number one thing was, look, it might be backwards, but it no, says it my, right? waiting for the perfect shot. That's it. That was my number one. Mm-hmm. Whenever I was, I, I actually lost uh, four different bulls. Like I've been successful as far as getting them within where I should be proficient. Like I got them into my range. And one time I had a bullet like 10 yards y'all. And guess what I didn't do? I didn't, didn't stop draw. the bull. Well, no, I drew and I was ready. He was walking. He had already walked past me. And I didn't stop him. Well, guess what? An elk, one step of an elk is three foot. foot. I hit him right in the liver. And then I tracked the bull for two days and could never find him. And then six days later, I ended up finding him whenever we come across a rank smell, you know? So the shot is the, you know, that's the most important thing of harvesting an elk, right? Yeah. Well, and, and here's, you also brought up a point there that goes along with the shot that, that you reminded me of. And that is the fact that after you hit an animal, um, you're not done. There's a lot of people, oh, they shoot, no. they're kind of celebrating the shot instead of really paying attention <laughs> to what is going on after the shot that is going to, number one, you can stop the elk. You can try to, you know, use a bugle and cow call yeah. to try to slow them down to confuse them. Um, you, you pay attention to how that animal reacted, where the last shot was. I mean, where his last placement was, um, how he was acting when he walked away. Uh, there's so much information that you can get you still have to follow up after the shot. And when I hear follow up, most people think about following through on their shot and I'm saying following through on what that animal is doing. Exactly. Yeah. You got to be visual. You got to be listening. You want to hear that last crash, what you heard there, what kind of sounds that you heard out of that. And, and, and that's critical. We'd have never killed this bull right here, Joe, if we oh, wouldn't Googly have done eye. those things. Yeah. yeah. We'd have never killed old googly eye <laughs> if we wouldn't have done those things. I shot that bullet 48 yards, got a, got one part of one lung and the liver on the way out. And that bull was sick. He ran 94 yards out into the middle of a big, uh, big opening and Joe stopped him with a big bugle. Okay. The bull actually stops and turns broadside and Joe goes, can you hit him there? He says 90, 91 or 94 yards. Yeah. At that point, dude, you want to get arrows in the air. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> And we anchor him at 94 yards, right? And he is so tough. These critters are so tough, brother. I break his leg on the other side with the arrow coming out, okay? And he gets up, dude, and walks another 
far piece, right? You talk about something. We're now, oh my gosh, we're like, oh, he's gone out of our lives forever. Joe goes, absolutely not, dude. He goes, you smoked him. He's real sick, and you know. So it's the night of you. You've been there, Luis. It's the night of mm-hmm. man. We gotta wait, and then can we go recovering? And look, it was much celebration. We didn't walk what forty yards into the woods, yeah. Joe, and no, he was no, it, right yeah. there. And, he, and look, man, he. We did not push that bull at all. And you know? that, that brings another point up, though, along with what Cole's saying, is because when Cole says that he liver shot that bull like that, most of the time those critters are going to go a certain amount of distance and feel sick and they're going to lay down. And a lot of guys are not reading the sign correctly, and they will go push that animal, get their adrenaline up, and that animal will get up and go. And once that adrenaline gets flowing, they get Ooh. up and go. And, and now miles. they've laid down and they've sealed blood up. Um, you are really asking to not recover an animal. So yeah, liver, oh, a liver shot elk, man, six to eight hours before we absolutely. ever go look for him. Yep. Yeah, we ever so, go push man, on him. Yep. You know? That's yep. That's I bumped this bull job. after three hours of waiting. Yeah. 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 And then yeah, yeah, was, you, had you waited another six, you know, three to six, he would have probably walked right up on dead. him dead as a hammer. Yeah. Right. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and well, that's been, that's been one of the things that long learning for me that, you know, more and more understanding, finding your arrow one, understanding the, the type of blood and, and what you're seeing on that arrow. If you're seeing, um, you know, meat, muscle mass, uh, if you're seeing fat, if you're seeing different colors, you know, the brightness of your blood, on you it, can smell right? gut. Mm-hmm. You know, that just, that's the, the first, that should be the first thing you need to focus on that. It's going to tell you a lot about what your next step needs to be. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, yeah, and if you don't it, know, back out, back out. Absolutely. Right. You can't right. And it's so out. hard. It's so hard to do, man. You just probably shot the, the biggest animal of your life. You're pumped. You want to get after that thing. You want to find it. But man. guess what, man? It's just like, it's worth the wait. You know, so and, and and it's tough because sometimes the indications on the arrow are telling you you need to wait at least six hours. Yeah. Okay. Or seven hours. And then and then what's happening between in those six hours, then the questions of is it gonna rain? Um, right. is the right. blood gonna dry and out? That's exactly what I was gonna bring up. There there's sometimes yeah. that you're not a, you're not able to make that decision that the decision is made for you if you have a bad storm coming in it's getting mm-hmm. ready to pour you know now you've got to change your mm-hmm. tactics at recovering that animal and hope for the best because otherwise you're going to lose the blood trail so yeah there are times that your hand is forced but in most conditions that that you hunt in a lot of times we are our own worst enemy in that we forget to follow up on our shot viewing mm-hmm. and listening and then taking that information. Now you hear that animal tumble over there and, or you get to see him in sight die like what we've had, mm-hmm. you know, well, I mean, it's, it's all good, man. It's all body mm-hmm. slamming and high fiving, but yeah. you know, if you don't, you got to keep your voice down. You've got to wait. You've got to be patient. And, and look, I, one of the greatest tools that, I heard somebody say that you can have in life. I just heard this somewhere. I can't remember where it's all. It's, it's somebody said that greatest tool is, is patience and time, man, sometimes. Absolutely. You know? Grinders tuning in, thank you for listening to the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Podcast. Our goal is to share our knowledge and help you flatten that learning curve 
so that you too can have some of the very same incredible experiences that have given all of us here at Elk Bros a lifetime of memories. If you like what you hear or see, you can get all of this information plus so much more from our Base Camp Elk Hunting Training Camp, the first in a series of online courses from our Blue Collar Elk Academy. Our Base Camp Training Camp allows me to use my coaching style and share almost 40 years of elk hunting experiences successfully hunting elk on public lands as well as over 20 years guiding hunters of all ages and experience levels. This course will be like nothing you have ever experienced in concept and structure using success-based coaching techniques that will elevate your confidence and skill sets. Our camp will prepare you specifically from that final moment most in your control, those final minutes or seconds the elk is in front of you, backwards through each step and level, allowing you to see, visualize, understand, and relate every coaching point to what lies ahead, the next step, the next thought process, the next success. Because y'all, you've already been there. You know what it looks like. By tapping my 30 years of teaching and coaching experience, our camps are developed considering multiple learning modes with text, visuals, audio, as well as video. And Base Camp will benefit those new to elk hunting all the way to the 10 to 15 year vet. So if you are looking for that one thing to help you fill that tag this year, invest in the most important piece of equipment there is, you and your elk hunting knowledge. You can find the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Academy and the Base Camp Training Camp at elkbros.com. That's E-L-K-B-R-O-S dot com. Keep dreaming of the screaming, believing and achieving, and most of all, keep grinding. So, yeah, time something you can't get back. Yep. Patience, you know, is really hard to exert when, when you have these high-pressure situations going on. You know, Chav... Chav was with me. I, I made a about a 60-yard shot on a bull. I thought the arrow was no doubt true, right? I mean, we saw it hit the bull. The bull took off running, went down in a big swag. There were two bulls there, went down in a big swag. One bull came out, one didn't, right? And I thought we heard something crash in there, but I wasn't a whole – I wasn't real sure. I just knew that if we went over that little rise that we were going to probably kick him, you know? Right. So, and Chav and I right decided – yeah, Chav and I decided, hey, man, we are just not going to say a word. There was some high-fiving and stuff, but not real loud, and we just backed out. We walked two miles back to camp and <laughs> wait for everybody to get there. You know, when we decided, well, we're going to eat dinner, leave that bull lay, because there's no reason for us to go push him. It was dark. It was real low-light conditions when I made the shot, so I didn't go have time to go get the arrow. So we just backed out of there and probably waited three and a half, four hours. And by the, He was dead when, when we heard him crash. He was dead. But we, the right thing to do in that instance, when you don't know, we can't find your arrow, don't want to kick the, the animal up, is to back out of there and go get help. You know, that's why I think a lot of guys mess. I think it's a huge failure point. A lot of guys, you know, they, they, they got to go find their arrow quick and that animal may be bedded down real close. And by the time you get to that arrow, you didn't kick him, you know, and if you'd have just waited and backed out of there because you don't know the whole story, man, and you go get help, it's a whole lot easier to recover that animal when you got help, if you need it, you know, 
Uh, and you give him time, man. You know, like Joe said, patience and time, man. It's it's kind of the it, it's kind it, of the Achilles it, heel. It, of it the, shows of the a mature. Hunter. It shows a mature hunter. Yeah. You know, um, and I think most parents can relate that. You know, they're always telling their kids, you know, slow down, think about it, you know, take a look, you know, yeah. and and you know, get all the information, man. What is five minutes? What is 10 minutes? What is 15 minutes difference going to make? What is an hour difference going to make? What is a three hour difference going to make? Because (laughs) most likely that animal is going to go in some place where it's in shade to die. A lot of them go into areas where they kind of got thick cover and stuff, and they're going to lay down and die in there because they're not feeling good. And, you know, it's going to be in the best situation at that point right there. And, you know, if, if it took it a while to die, you know, uh, Gilbert, that bull that we found of yours that just went 40 yards had only been dead probably an hour after waiting all night. And, I mean, was still, there was no rigor mortis, nothing. So we made absolutely the right decision on that. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, we jump him, got lucky too. No coyotes got him up or anything like that. I mean, if if we'd have bumped him at all, we'd have never found that bull. I mean, the the coyotes might have found him, but we wouldn't have. Well, Cole had the exact same thing on that, which was pretty doggone cool. I, and, and Cole, we've talked before and you talked about that, how, that shot selection for you was such, I mean, that was a huge part of your learning curve right there. You can be the best caller. You can get into elk. You can do all those things. You can execute the shot, but if you're not executing a solid shot, you're risking success. You are having a failure point. So that's huge right there. Luis, what did you have on, on your score? So I got a few, but you know, we have touched some of them already. So I'm going to concentrate. And and actually we're not going to worry too much as we develop this, we're going to talk about which ones need to be on our top 10 list anyway, uh, as we do this. But, and I think a lot of these failure points help people, but give me which one you think is your number one on your list. Okay. Well, um, I've got two that I, that I debate on. One of them is my own internal issue. And the other one is probably one that, you know, a lot of other hunters relate to and, and probably number one for a lot of people. So I'm just going to start with the one that is my internal issue. Okay. And, uh, it, it starts with Virulakis. Okay. Right. So, and, and for those of you who don't know, we talk about Virulakis all the time, but it's kind of like bug fever, right? So learning how to control the emotions breathing um, during this situation and, and to make the right decisions. Um, one of the things that I struggle with when I get the veto lack is all that adrenaline in my body. Um, I, something takes over and I, it's like, I get tunnel this vision. killer in, instant. I get tunnel vision. I just, I'm so focused and it's just like, you're waiting so for so long to for this moment and and you you want to you want to make it happen and sometimes that drive to make it happen makes me rush things in a way that i later regret um so sometimes it's made me make sure and i'm talking not just elk hunting i'm talking any any boat hunting uh, and sometimes I, I fear one of my biggest fears is regret. And I think I've said this before. So 
regretting the shot I took that I shouldn't have taken because of that moment, the, the, the rush of the moment and, and trying to create an opportunity that possibly wasn't there. It's really something that I struggle with internally. Um, and, and, and it's hard. It's, it's so hard because yeah, you want to create the opportunity you you want to take that shot you're out there boat hunting your arm i'm ready to go you're prepared for it and and it's it's so easy to misjudge a situation and uh, especially when emotions have taken over you know so that's one of my biggest struggles joe and uh, i continue to work on that day in and day out i feel i've gotten better at, at judging the in making the decision of taking the shot but you know, every once in a while that takes over and I'm like, dang it. You know, it's just like, I, I just gave in into that emotion, into that moment. So that's a, that's a tough one for me. Yeah. And here's the, here's the hard part about that is like you said, a lot of that emotion is not so much driven by, you know, the need to have to, you know, to put that animal down. It's not like, Oh, I, I, I want to kill that bull. I want to it, it's, it's, it's the emotion is tied in where I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to wound an animal. Yeah. I don't want to see that animal. It, it's this, it's this fear, um, that, yeah. that a person has because you don't want to have regret, but it's like anything in life. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I have athletes that, legitimately wouldn't want to put themselves in a particular position because they feared failure instead Mm -hmm. of, instead of understanding and expecting that they can succeed. You know, it's kind of like this. You can take and put a 3d target out there, right? So that it's behind a rock so that a rock is within five inches, four inches, of the kill zone on that 3d target. And there will be two schools of people out there. There will be the people that fear they're going to hit the rock and they're going to be the people that know they're going to make the kill. Do you follow me? Yeah. Yeah. So confidence and in, yeah, it is. It's, 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 it's confidence. It's, it's that ability to focus on what you can do and not on, but, but, but here's, but here's the thing. See, in my situation, I follow that example exactly the way you're saying it. But in my example would be is like, I believe I'm going to hit that target. I believe I'm going to make that kill. And then I don't. And then I regret the decision of taking the shot because I believed I was going to make it. Yeah. But you know what? It's like anything, dude. If you you get to the point within your system of your confidence level and within your skill set where you tell yourself that is, that is my shot. Well, then you have to be all in. You can't, you can't now go, you know, I I don't disagree, but that's the thing, right? I mean, sometimes that extra confidence on, Hey, this is, this is the way I visual, visualize the shot. This is the way it's going to happen. I, I know I can make it. And then realizing after with a cold head, after everything happened and looking at what happened and, right. and I'm like, man, I had every indication that I, you know, maybe I shouldn't have had the confidence of making the shot. 
You know what well, I mean? It's just like, man, I took a shot that maybe I shouldn't you know, have. <laughs> yeah. The big thing is, yeah. is you do everything in your power, Luis. And I've watched, I've been with you hunting, you know, we let the animal get stance right. We, you know, we, we get a good smooth yeah. draw where we're undetected, you know, and the animal's not nervous, uh, especially when we're deer hunting because such a small kill window, you know, when we're elk hunting, we get the draw on them and the drop on them. Then it's about just waiting for them to settle in, get that front foot forward, try to get the yeah. angle right, man. And it's about sending it, you know, we yeah. know the distance, but if we, do, if one of those things is wrong, if one of them, we don't really know the distance or we we're not real yeah. comfortable with the way he's standing, we do not need to loose an arrow. Yeah. All those things line up. It's you know? been, it's been a journey. For sure, and man. I yeah. feel like I have matured in oh. that aspect, but it's certainly the one in my mind, the biggest failure point that I struggle with even, even today, you know, it's gotten better now that I have more experience and more information. I have learned more. I can, it helps me make the right decisions, mm -hmm. but you know, every once in a while it happens. It's like, man, it's a control thing too. It's a control thing, brother. You know, when, when I was on the law enforcement side, we had to deal with the fight or flight type thing all the time, mm -hmm. especially when, uh, when you're, <laughs> when you're in a life or death situation, that adrenaline bump that you get or dump that you get, it can be euphoric and it can also be your worst enemy too, because it can take, all of all of everything that you got going on and force it into this little cone yeah. where you can't see the out the peripheral. Yeah. So for us it was about getting into that that uh, fight or flight and then training our bodies to look at the peripheral to broaden, before, yeah. Yeah, to broaden it. And it takes time, man. It takes training. Yeah. It takes time. Yeah. It's hard to manipulate that fight or flight method if you you know, we did it with training with fighting one another. Cause you know, when yeah. you get in a ring with somebody, you fixing to throw down that adrenaline goes straight through the roof. Yeah. So for us, it was a lot easier to manage. And it's been a lot easier for me to manage my vitilakis or, um, for me, it, it's, it's a taking it all in and trying not to come down to that moment of, do I have doubt? Right. Because yeah. when I'm hunting, I, I, it, it's so uh, such a joyous occasion for me. I try to weed out all that doubt. And when I draw that string back and it touches my nose, thumb goes behind the ear, uh, it's go time. And now it's all about me just finding the spot on the animal that I want to shoot. You know, we preach that. I mean, you know, Nugent preaches it, aim small, miss small. It is a true science to making that happen. And yeah. you're right, brother. You know, what I want you to do, Luis, is understand you're still real young in your, in your hunting oh, yeah. journey, man. Absolutely. All of these things are going to get so much better for you as the more you do it, the more equipped you get yeah. to, to and, have and that happen. You know? I think one of the, the fact that I, that I feel that way and that I recognize it and I'm conscious about it Absolutely. Is, 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 is the thing that, okay, that's what's made me grow in the other failure points. Absolutely. And I'm going to continue at it on this one because it's, For sure. it's something I continue to, I've seen it improve. 
Um, but that's the one thing I feel like I still have. It's because you uh, can it improve with your shot selection, brother. Yeah. You know, yeah. there are many times I've watched you on camera and, and been with you where, man, we could have, we could have loosed an arrow, but it probably would have been a marginal opportunity. Right. But yeah. you waited, you got, you were patient, you know, in, inside you're dying. You know, I mean, you were about ready to hyperventilate, right? But I've seen you mature so much, you know. And and for guys out there listening to this, man, you it for that to happen, it just takes maturity. Give yourself the opportunity to mature as a bow hunter and as as a hunter in general, you know. Well, I was gonna say, it sounds like Luis, like that has now become part of your process of executing a shot, right? Like Gilbert talks about he's, he anchors and gets touches the, and then his thumb and gets everything set. Right. Well, that's, it sounds like to me, like now working through the Vita Locus and, and walking through your process of the shot is now that's part of it. So you're, you're growing in that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what the thing that I, I see in him is as I've got a chance to see him take his shots and I've seen the maturity and I've seen where now he's focused within that moment. And then, then he's falling apart afterwards, which that oh, happened yeah. with so many people. <laughs> oh man. But, I'm about to pass out. Yeah. yeah and, I'm telling you, and, and I have the, almost fell out of a tree stand cause I've that adrenaline hit me so hard. I mean, it's, I, I don't know. I've never shot heroin, but if it's anything like that, <laughs> holy crap. <laughs> no. I don't know about that, bro, but, the thing that, 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 the thing that uh, it, it really speaks volumes, Luis, is that you care. Yeah, and man. it's not Nobody where you're, you're not somebody that's going to put an arrow in an animal and go, oh, it's going to be okay, and then go shoot another animal. No, I'm so hunting that, with guys like that. That ain't right. cool. Yeah. So, I can't do so that. That, uh, that makes you worth your salt, bro, as far yeah. as I'm concerned. It, it makes you worth the Why skin. You're an elk, bro. Bro. That, that other um look what we do as outdoorsmen as hunters and, and i don't know how people i i'm not going to sugarcoat things we kill animals so that mm-hmm. we can harvest them and bring them home for us to eat we do eat them right yeah, and like them. you know that's it it is part of the circle it is life it is what happens but you know, you can either have a business outlook on that. You can have a caring outlook there. It's going to be affecting different people in different ways. But if you don't care about these animals that we choose to chase, that we are so passionate about that we want to honor because they are so such incredible animals and people have a hard time understanding that they really do. They, they have a hard time understanding that relationship of how much we love these animals that, that we chase, that, that we are set out to, to kill. They're but so hard man, to hunt, man. We have so much respect and we honor them and we want to see their continued, um, you know, prospering and throughout after our life is over. Yeah, we want so them our, to be here for our kids and our kids' kids, man. Yes. Yeah. No, to the point is like, you know, you guys were teasing me about it. You know, I had, I had to shoot, I had opportunities to shoot sows all weekend long, all weekend long in front of me. I had several, several opportunities. Um, I'm talking 10 to 20 yards. And I just, I just couldn't. I mean, I saw the sows with the little ones, you know, and I just, I I couldn't do it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, good for you. Is that I think a failure point for a lot of guys out there is that they 
hunt elk where and when they have the smallest window for success. I, I think a lot of hunters, they, they end up in doing that same old rodeo, you know, that, you know, call, hike, call. They're going to start, they're going to get up in the morning, they're going to go out, they're going to be right out there, hopefully at first daylight, but that's most people. They just want to be at the first daylight. They're going to go hike, call, hike. If they get a response, they're going to challenge the bugle. They're going to tell the stories about the elk. They got scared when they bugled and ran away. He must have had cows when they actually weren't running away. But they put themselves in the smallest window for a call-in. Like, they'll end up in an area where an animal is, and not understanding that they're going away someplace. They're, they're getting ready to go to a destination. Now, if, if I'm going to go out and I'm going to start hunting elk at daylight, you know, I have very limited time that those animals are going to be in those night feeding areas before they move up to their bedding. So they're going to disappear out of those areas. And unless you've been on them and you understand that they're disappearing and you know how to go with them, you're now not going to be with them in the area that they're going to be for the longest period of the day. You know, and and then in the afternoon, they're doing the same thing. They're waiting at the end result place. They're wake, waiting at those nighttime feed areas for them to show up there when there's all of this area from the bedding area all the way coming down to that, that they could have started their hunt at one in the afternoon, at two in the afternoon. Or they could have been in the place where those elk are for what, six to eight hours of the daytime in their bedding area? You know, so I I think a huge failure point is just what I'm saying, that that they hunt elk where and when they have the smallest window of opportunity. They are limiting themselves by not going where the elk are going to be at the best times during the day for the longest time. Now, if you want to be a morning person, uh, me, I'm not a person that's going to be out there just at daylight. I have to be out there an hour, hour and a half, sometimes two hours before daylight. I'm locating. And and it doesn't mean that I always have to be on them, but I can tell. I can tell by what the terrain is like, by what how that bull is bugling, what's happening with the sounds that are going on, whether or not I'm going to have an opportunity at daylight. And, guys, I can tell you how many times – I have killed. Did I say something funny? What I was smiling at is, is, dude. Yeah, Joe says he's gonna get up an hour early. Yeah, whatever, man. I've been up at three o'clock in the morning with this cat. I mean, it's three and a half hours before daylight, right? I, I don't so, like being late to the party, bro. No, I mean, man. And look, that's, that's what it takes, though, Joe. Yeah. Most guys, most guys are heading out when you and I have been on our four wheeler or on our mule or whatever our motor transportation are and we go by camps and stuff and those it's getting closer to the great line those guys ain't even out of the camp yet i mean you you can you can root cause it it's not really the waking up so early it's really the going to bed that as late as we do because of the previous day we've killed and gutted and you know and and done all that work so yeah i mean we crammed we crammed 15 days of work in in six or seven days you know if i'm well rested i'm okay getting up at four o'clock in the morning just grinding through that for seven freaking days nonstop. we ain't never been an hour early (laughs) but but to joe's point is is just uh you know how far are you willing to go 
you know, yeah. really how important is your elk hunt? It is, yeah. you know, are you really out there to harvest an elk and, and, and going after it? Or are you just out there for a nature walk? I mean, it's 150 days. Exactly. 350 exactly. days we wait to be able to do that man and yes. you know if you're hunting a seven day hunt or a 10 day hunt i mean it, to me i mean i i hear people and I, I look on instagram and they're they're counting down the days man and they're like how many months till september we're only three months out cole you said it earlier today we're only three yes, months away, man from from the hunt man so you know they're counting the days and and it happens from as soon as oh, the season's man. over you know, I hadn't seen it that really that. Yeah. That, yeah, man. Yeah, I mean, that's it. We're, that's May. So yeah. 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 July, August, man. And then we're, we're on top of right? this thing, man. Yeah. Better have your so stuff I together, boys. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> exactly. it, I, I don't understand how, when you have put that much energy into the anticipation that you can't put that much energy into the actual hunt itself and and set yourself up for failure and and that is a failure point man it is a failure point when you are not putting yourself in the best position during the best times to be able to kill an elk and well and then here's the thing yo if if you don't get up as hard as it is if you don't get up that morning to go hunt that day you're not going to kill them at camp no okay there there's some fellows that might, but one walks through there, you can yeah. you know, okay to happen, but yeah, but I, I'm not able to tell you how many times I have been gutting an elk at basically first light when people I'm still hearing just now coming out of camp. Yeah. And and mm -hmm. I've already located, gotten on, called in and killed. Um and by that time. And because you know, you're only going to have so much time at that first day, like depending, you know, if you have a full moon situation, they're going to bed earlier. You know, you have a dark moon situation. They might stay out a little bit longer, but once man, depending on what's happening with pressure in that area, if you guys are hunting OTC in Colorado, when all those ATVs start rolling around and stuff and waking those elk up, it's a signal, man. It's a signal for them to start hitting the trees. They when, I killed that, when I killed that big bull that we had four wheelers coming up from behind us the whole time. Mm -hmm. I mean, we got, we have bulls coming in the set. We're calling cows and bulls in and these guys blah, 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 you hear them going right by us and i'm like oh my god these guys have no clue you know but yeah i mean elk all over us you yeah. know still, so, hear them, still hear them run by I'm, I'm going to put that one in our list but uh again we'll we'll decide on all of these and where we're going and we're probably going to start talking about our number two can you believe that we basically it's funny we we talked about each of our first but when we do that we're, we've already covered about you know three four, four. five different things in this so mm -hmm. I, and for you guys listening i think this is going to be huge because you know we could sit here and we could go um okay setups calling hiking hesitant uh work ethic internal drive we can do that but what are you going to get out of that so, yeah i mean you, you have to like when you get the, you the, the passion behind it, the experiences, the actual situations, I, at least the way I learn, I absorb that a lot. Yeah. A lot better than just a simple checklist. Right. Yep. Absolutely, man. And, and that's not, you know, our goal is to teach. And not only do we want to talk about the failure points, but we want to give you the keys to 
avoid those failure points. So I think mm-hmm. this is going to, I think this is going to be a pretty good series for us, man, because I can see us jumping into this more in depth as we go, because we do have a great question tonight on our Elk Grove's mailbox. I think it's going to take a little time. So we're going to jump from this and we will be back next week with more failure points and solutions to that. We will make this a series. Um, I, I think from what I hear from people, they enjoy the series because they don't feel like they're just getting thrown information and they get a lot of stuff out of it. So um, we're going to go ahead and go to that uh, to our Elk Bros mailbox. This mailbox is from Joel Adair. Hoel. Yep. Yeah, our friend Hoel. Yep, yep, <laughs> absolutely. From Santa, how do you, is it Santa? Adair. Utah? Uh, there. To Quinn, Utah. Right. And to Quinn, Utah. And he, he actually, he, he had like a question one last time. And I love that we get a chance to discuss this because there's a lot of moving parts to this. And there's a lot of things that information that we don't necessarily have that would be kind of important. But really, the basis of the answer to this comes down to it in the end. So it's kind of cool. So here's here's what he said. This question is about an actual hunting situation that I call the growling bull. On the first evening of the hunt, we were sitting in camp and I let out a bugle. Get this. He's sitting in the camp. Guys, you don't know how many times this happens, especially first night in camp especially man about 30 seconds later i heard a bull that sounded like he was just growling not being sure i let off another bugle it was about the same amount of time before he responded again i'm assuming he growled again with a half hour of light left i grabbed my bow and my pack and i took off i didn't let out another bugle for about 300 yards he closed the distance i tried another bugle then and it took longer for a response but it sounded like he wasn't moving, like it was from the same area. I went to cow calls to try another approach. Good job, Joel. Way to test the waters, bro. Okay, first of all, um, to get a response and nothing. Then I went back to the bugle and he growled again, Mm. but with a slight whine at the end of his call. He wouldn't move from his location. It got too dark to hunt, so I left back to camp. We went out the next morning, to the same place after the bull and moved into the dark timber into a small meadow. I let out a bugle and got a response. It was the growling bull, but behind us towards dark timber. I tried to do a calling sequence of raking and doing short growling bugles myself and some cow calls. And I love this, trying to ignore the bull. I only did the sequence and here's where things fall apart right Right. here. I only did the sequence for about 10 minutes before my partner got frustrated from waiting. We left the location we were at and headed towards where the bull last called from. So in 10 minutes after putting on a scenario, they decide now to go after the bull, right? Um, We found his tracks and they led to the lake circled back into the timber around where we were calling. No doubt. Uh, he was yeah. coming the <laughs> Yeah. So the question was, was he circling to get our wind? Not necessarily. Uh, maybe. Oh, very possible. Very yeah. possible. Should I try a longer calling sequence to try and pull in the bull? Yes. Yeah. Should have gave him 45 Absolutely. minutes. Absolutely, man. You got him talking. Just keep 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 doing what you're doing, you know. Yeah, and and the the the, the thing I would like to know too is, I mean, how how far or how close was that sound, was that you know? Because yeah. 
you know, it depends if, if you, if it's far away, then yeah, you do want to kind of gain some ground and oh, maybe you set up as you're closer. But if he's listening to growling, it also tells me that they're probably relatively close because the, the growling, the slow, the the low growling, it, yes. it's, it's, it's usually as you know, on a closer mm -hmm. distance, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's a uh, yeah, I mean, interesting. No, I mean, this is a super example. But he but, said, were, were we too impatient to wait him out and couldn't get him to come into us before we moved? I think mm -hmm. you answered that question, brother. Uh, <laughs> you see, saw his tracks around the lake y'all were at. Well, and this yeah. is the exact same thing is, is people committing to a setup, but not committing to it. So they went ahead and, and you were doing, he was doing the right thing, man. Yeah. And especially you're going to have bulls like that, that you don't know why that bull I mean, that could be a satellite bull that got his butt kicked and he is wary and he's not sure he wants to go down and deal with that rodeo. He's not, you know, that's why he kind of kept his position. You know, you, you don't know exactly where he's at. Now, when you went to look, you only found a single track. So he was by himself because a lot of times you hear a bull growling like that. It could be a bull telling you to stay away because he has a cow with them, sure, you sure. know, so that's a good possibility right there. But when we come down to the simplifying of this, you said, should I try a longer calling sequence and try to pull the bull? Heck yes. 10 minutes mm, yeah. on a calling sequence yeah. for a yeah, bull that's Joe, not screaming? Yeah. Joe, you've seen, you've seen multiple bulls leave cows to go to another bull Absolutely. sounding off, right? Uh, because none of those cows that they were with were in heat. Yeah. Right. So they got other bulls sounding off and, and they're making them, you know, the, the big lip ball sounds and stuff like that. And a breeding sequence that may have been something else he could have tried was a breeding sequence to see if you could have pulled him in a little quicker. Well, he's basically doing that, bro. Yeah. yeah, he did. You take For sure. what he's saying. He's doing a rutting sequence because he said that, you know, and then he go straight to a slow play. He did, cows and he did some growling bugles, a couple yeah. of cow calls just within Ignoring a him. scenario right so yeah. he's pretty close to doing that i mean if he'd have done some panning lunking or something like that a few wines from that cow as everything builds up but he only did it for 10 minutes in yeah, 10 minutes you've done two. so when calls. he says some cow calls what kind of cow calls i mean yeah, is yeah. he doing that yeah, assistant yeah. wine from that girl that's in estrus or is he just you know, yeah. making cow talk. You know it sounds I mean? to, yeah, it sounds to me just like cow talk based on yeah. what Man, it seems like he's trying that, to paint. You got to turn that scenario into that bull being with a hot cow. Right? But he didn't give it enough time, man. Like I agree, said, yeah. agree, in, agree. In agree. 10 minutes. In yeah, 10 no, he needed 30 minutes more. Yeah, you give it that cow talk. And, yeah. and it's the same thing with cow talk that you do with bulls that are raising their temperature. You have to raise their emotion, yeah. too. So you don't start out right at the beginning just throwing out yeah. that estrus wine. You build that up. Right. So, um, but And then he says, were we too impatient to wait him out uh, to get him to come into us before we moved? Heck, yeah, same yeah. thing. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Should I get another partner that has more patience and <laughs> willing to get up earlier to get into the woods before it gets light? Now I have, I have a strong opinion about his question. Man, you know, you didn't predict me, right? I know you're thinking that I'm going to be talking about Manano, but it's not the case. No, no, I'm actually, what I, what I really want to say here is like, Hey man, I don't think it's really about getting another partner or having the patience or the willingness to get up earlier. 
this is an issue of lack of knowledge. I mean, I, I, if I think if 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 your partner is on the same knowledge base as you are, you know, or better, then these things don't happen. So it, it may not be about the person; it may be about the person really not knowing. So education, to me, take, can take care of this, yeah. uh, unless obviously you don't get along with the person, base which I doubt. Camp. You know, base camp. but but it's knowledge. It's just this is knowledge. I mean, you can. You can have that guy go through, and I'm not throwing a pitch here at that or anything, but you, a guy goes through the academy, listens to the podcast, Thanks. goes online, learns and seeks out information. These are things that are being taught there. So if, if that person understands this, then you're not going to find a resistance in actually making the right decisions as a team. Well, and if his own knowledge was more than when the buddy wanted to get up, he was like, no, he could have, we're he could have educate yeah. him on that. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. And so part of that, the reason that they lost their patience wasn't just because his friend was impatient or it's not just because his friend didn't get up early. You know, if, if you have that yourself, you know, then you drive that. Sometimes, yeah. you know, I, I know Luis doesn't want to get up when I get up at three o'clock in the morning, but, <laughs> but, yeah. but that's what I do to be successful. So I drive that and he's going to go along with me. You know, he might, well, yeah. the, the day, Joe, the day that I killed my, my first bull with you. Right. I mean, we were in a setup for about 45 minutes yeah. and I recall clearly telling Manano, Manano, come on, man, let's, let's go back up there and tell Joe that they're gone and this is not happening. And, uh, <laughs> just when I said that, then we started seeing elk coming over to where we were. Yeah. But if so, you'd have left in 20 minutes, you'd have never seen that. Bull. No, yeah, absolutely. But the point being is that even though I was sitting there, Joe never yeah. stopped calling. He right. was, right. he, he was frigging calling for 45 minutes. I thought I was like, man, how does he have the lungs to call for that long and walk up and down that ridge, um, yeah. to, to work that scenario. So, um, you know, I didn't know. I didn't know 45 minutes at least 45 minutes is kind of like a number. Right. So if it would have been me initially, I would have been the same situation they were in because yeah. 30 minutes then minimum, man, 30, you know. yeah, because then I didn't, I didn't know. Right. I mean, it's just, yeah. so to me, it's like, it's not really about the partner. It's more about the, the knowledge of both right. of you. Yeah. yeah. I think if Hoel will, will dive into more of our calling part in our, our base camp and, you know, seek out some more information on calling setups and stuff like that. There's some really yeah. good podcasts out there that talk about it. I mean, get the Elk Nut app. I mean, that guy's amazing when it comes to understanding calling and stuff like that. I mean, Paul Medell's one of the best at telling you how to set up scenarios, slow play, you know, yeah. breeding sequences. I mean, the whole nine yards, he's really good at it. So, you know, uh, y'all were really close, man. And, and not all the time do bulls, cut circle downwind not all the time especially okay. when you got him tore up right yeah. uh so i'm it sounded like to me y'all found him and he'd come down there and y'all just you know yeah. he, he may have saw y'all moving to make a move the thing Absolutely. i'd like to know in this joe is yeah. how far away the bull was yeah. on this second morning right was he 250 was he still 300 was he quarter mm -hmm. mile i mean was it thick? Was it open? Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to know a couple of those things. Cause yeah. if that bull's two feet out, I'm, I'm moving in on him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Getting well, close if he's, this. 
if he sold it right, I mean, that bull could have been coming to check to see if that cow was hot. Oh, yeah. For sure. For sure. Yeah. But by the way, he was responding – by the way, he was responding the day before, just that growling. It yeah. sounded like he had cows, yeah, but he didn't have one that was hot. Right. And then you piqued his interest that yeah, next yeah. day by presenting that, and yeah. you just didn't give it that time. Yeah. And, you that's- know, that's exactly, cool. what I was going to say is that, to me, it seemed like that bull was had cows. You yeah, know, he was happy to have a couple cows with him, probably a – younger, more immature bull, you know, and he was happy to have a couple of cows. And when that bull, when he was sound off, he was just telling him, you know, stay away. He growled yeah. at him, just, Hey, you just stay away. And yeah. he, he wasn't exactly. going to move away. And then, I mean, one, then once you start introducing a cow and they start hearing things like there's a possibility of another hot cow, well, he's been with these cows back and forth. He knows where they're at. So now he's going to go check out the possibility of a cow that is, uh, and ready to breed. So, yeah, you know, I called in a, I called in a bull for a really good friend of mine named Randy Thomas and we were hunting in Colorado rifle hunting and it was right in the first part of rifle season there in October. And man, the bulls were just lighting up like crazy. We were in some horrible wind and, uh, I, I, we got out of the the buggy and we're just going to go to this edge and glass a little bit. And I, I said, man, I'm going to, I'm going to let out of just a location view. And man, this bull just opens up below us like, and then shut up. Right. One time I'm like, Oh my gosh. So we keep going, keep going. We th- I'm thinking he's within a couple hundred yards of us. We're right. He was, we just keep going up this Ridge. And I'm like, I, what I didn't do was look off the side of the Ridge, right? The bull was below us 125 yards, but we just kept easing up the Ridge out of his scent way, you know, the whole nine yards. And I get up there and I'm cow calling and I'm cow calling and I'm cow calling nothing, you know, not a thing. We start back towards the bike and I bugle again and one time that was it. Right. I'm like, Oh my gosh, what in the world was that? I, I looked at the guys and they're like, it sounds like it's below us. You know, I'm like, what's well, so hard to hear in the wind. I got, I did the insistent cow call that man, that was it. dude. He lit up again. Right. So, but this time we knew I'm like, Oh, he's, where we stopped our UTV, he was 125 yards below us, okay? And I had no clue. I thought he was 250 yards out, so we just kept rolling to him, right? And he was down there the whole time. So when I turned around and looked over the ridge, he is down there by himself with seven cows, okay? Mm -hmm. He don't want to talk because none of his cows are in heat, okay? He don't want to talk because he don't want that other bull dropping off in there. And now we got a a competition, right? So, but every time he would hear that bull bugle, he'd want, and he'd growl a little, you know, you could tell. Stay away. Yeah, so warning, stay away. But again, I'm young in my calling and stuff like that. But me bailing off and looking, man, I was like, oh, now I know why he shut up. He's got mm. cows with him. He didn't want to challenge anything. He wanted to keep his cows to himself. Yeah, why? yeah, he's not gonna he's not gonna challenge and and he's not worked up that much because he doesn't have a, a cow in heat. He, he doesn't have bulls circling around him that are aggravating him out there that's gonna cause him to have to, yeah. you know, demonstrate. He doesn't have any other bulls trying to pull his ladies away from him. There's no formula in there that's forcing him 
to have to tell those cows that he's the man. So, I mean, and they're in open area. They're not in thick timber. So he doesn't have to be advertising his place, his position. So we were in, we were in that scrub pinion and he was surrounded by those cows. So there was really no shot. So what I had to do, when we got within a hundred yards of him, man, I cracked off this really nasty bugle. Well, when I did, it pulled the cows to me. So the cows just come running up there towards him, left him in the, in the dust. Right. And he turns broadside. And I'm told Randy, I said, he ain't going to get any better than that, son. You better shoot him. (laughs) Boom. I mean, he hammered him beautiful six by six bull, but had I not pulled them cows, to me he'd have still been trying to figure out a way to weave a weave a a daggum bullet in there you know and that's that's a lesson for folks because you can sound like a more dominant bull pulling cows away from a bull and pull that bull in tow I mean, it, 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 that was cool. man. uh, A lot of stuff that I've learned over the years, being able to, to do as much elk hunting as I have. And, you know, I hope this helps some of our listeners, Joe, because this is some really good stuff. Hey, and I got, and I got a piece of advice for our friend Joel again. It's like, if you really are into looking for a partner, there's a place in the Elbrose website where you can create a profile and then (laughs) look for a better partner. And then I recommend you look for the lowest ranking member of the Venezuelan mafia. You know, (laughs) he's looking, he's looking for uh, for other partnerships because uh, he's got, he's gotten kicked out of the, of the, of the highest memberships of the mafia. I knew it was coming. I didn't know when, I knew it was coming. Oh, maybe you are the king, bro. I mean, hey, I told you. Oh, so this must be a joke that happened on the last, uh, on the last, <laughs> oh, yeah. last podcast, no, you're you're a your, story uh, up. he said you ain't no king cole <laughs> <laughs> monado monado shut me down louise he did he, did. he sure yeah. did he's, oh he's, yeah, right. yeah he shut me down it's just you jealousy knew you dude. can't be no king yet he's yeah. jealousy yeah. That's yeah. What it is. Oh, yeah, yeah you were at the airport that day that's right <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right true. Gil, close us out bro Guys, if you like what we're doing, please subscribe, rate, and review us. You got to go to Apple Podcast or iTunes to review us, and you can check out more elk hunting content at elkbros.com. And just a reminder, if any of our listeners would like their questions answered on the show, just send your questions to info at elkbros.com. That's info at elkbros.com. Joe, like we say here down in the Lone Star State, husbands kiss your wives, wives kiss your husbands, hug your babies, keep your broadhead sharp and your powder dry. And we'll see you next week right here on Blue Collar Elk Hunting. And guys, man, we hope you've been loving the music. Here's our brother, Tony Wintrip. Tony Wintrip. Peace, peace, everybody. Peace. peace. Take a good look at me. I'll be gone for a while in the backcountry. Where peace of mind is destiny. I hit the trail with the pack on my back. Mountain house meals in a bivy sack. I'm gone for a while, baby. Take a good look at me. Goodbye, I made one laugh and I made one cry. I'll be missing.
missing you and you'll be missing me When you lay your head down at night Just know your daddy's safe in the bright moonlight September sky as far as the eye can see top with the highest peak and no backdrop it's a long way up from here and a long way succeed you want to fish you want to be one of the greatest tune in to west marines life on the water presented by costa custom boats every saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m eastern on waypoint tv spend your saturdays with life on the water join captain brandon simmons for fishing diving travel and so much more you want to succeed you want to fish you want to be one of the greatest oh look at that thing dude Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment.